Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Well, you have your Bibles, you can turn them over to Genesis chapter 35. And I just want to remind you, last week, uh, well, last couple sermons in this study, uh, we saw that intent is not action, and then action is necessary for God to work. And so, again, two very important points through this study, but again, two important things for us to apply in our lives today. We can have good intentions, but if we don't act on what God has commanded us, uh, then there's no way that God is going to do, or we're going to enter into some of the blessings, God's going to do some of the things that he desires to do. Again, we know that God can do without us, but he has chosen to, to do with us. That's what his choice is. That's what he has chosen to do from the very beginning. He could have said, look, Adam, I've created all this for you. Sit back, relax, and enjoy it all. Uh, but he didn't. He said, hey, go out and name those animals. Go out and name this stuff. Go out and, and tend to the garden. Do something for me that's going to bring glory to me. And I'll provide everything for you. I'll take care of you. I'll do all those things. Just trust me and serve me. And uh, again, it's still the same thing that we should be doing today. It's just a lot of times we start thinking that it's supposed to be like I said a while ago. Like everything's supposed to be comfortable. God, you're supposed to do everything. I'd sit back and do nothing. And uh, again, that's not what we see at all, how God wants us to interact with him, how he wants us to live on this earth. And so, again, so important for us to, to follow those things. To, I hope that you were here for those. If not, I think they're online. Um, get those things. So important for us to, uh, to remember that. Uh, we talked about this. Scripture is so full of conditional promises of God. And this is not a matter of manipulation. We talked about this last week. It doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't mean that God is saying, okay, I- I'm going to hold you to this. Uh, it's not a matter of manipulation. It's a matter of alignment. Knowing that God is right, knowing that everything that God is, has done for us is for our good, then it's a matter of us saying, here's what God has said. I line up with this. If you will, then I will. This is what's going to happen in your life. Uh, but that's, a lot of people don't see it like that. A lot of people, God just wants to keep his thumb on me. God wants to have a relationship with us. God wants to interact with us. And it's a matter of us aligning ourselves with him being right and good and holy and just so that we can enter. If you will, then I will do this. And so, again, a lot of those things are so important for us to remember. This week, we're going to move forward in this study of life. Again, I'm so excited uh, to see what God has uh, in these points this morning. So let's pray. And we'll get into that. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here. Uh, God, you're so good. Uh, Lord, as I think about all the songs that we sang this morning, uh, how marvelous and and your your faithfulness and this blessed assurance that we have. Uh, Lord, again, this uh, this truth that if we're your child, uh, there's nothing that can take us out of your hand. And uh, Lord, we're so thankful that you've given us these uh, exceeding and, and great and precious promises. Lord, we're we're just so humbled by these truths, and uh, Lord, I know in the busyness of our lives, and even there's a chance that there's a lot going on for people today, um, that we can miss this moment, we can miss this opportunity uh, to gather here, and what we've already experienced to continue on in that, Lord, as your spirit moves, as your word is preached, and God, we just want you to be glorified, we want you to have your way in our midst, Lord, you are the reason why we're here, uh, we're not here for religion, we're not here uh, to go through motions. We're not, go, we're not here to go through a routine. We're here for you, God, and, and uh, we, we pray that our praise this morning was uh, pleasing to you, Lord, that our hearts were lifted, 
as our voices were, and thanks and praise to you. And, and now as, as our hearts are open and our spiritual eyes or ears are in tune uh, to your word, I pray you'd speak to us and that you would move in, in, a, in a mighty way, Lord. And if there's somebody here that doesn't have this special relationship with you, Lord, they've never turned away from a life of sin, they've never let go of the control of their life and, and trusted you for salvation, I pray that they would do that today. I pray they'd realize that's the only way to go to heaven uh, when it's all over. Lord, help them to see that this morning and help us all uh, to give you the glory that you're due and uh, the praise that you're due. In Jesus' name we pray it all. Amen. In Genesis 35, we pick up in verse 6. And so, again, remember, uh, Jacob has told his children and his family, you need to turn over all of your idols. They turned over their idols. He got rid of them. And uh, God came to him and said, hey, you need to get to the place where you're supposed to be. And so this is where we pick up in verse 6. And Jacob came to uh, Luz, which is the land of Canaan, that is Bethel. So it used to be called Luz uh, and now Bethel. He and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar, and they called the place El Bethel, or God, the place of God, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the place of his brother. But Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak. And the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. <clears throat> God appeared in Jacob again when he came out of uh, Paden Aram and blessed him and said unto him, Thy name is Jacob, thy shall, thy, I'm sorry, thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. God said unto him, I am, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee I will give it, and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. And God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, even a pillar of stone. And he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon. And Jacob called the, the name of the place, and look at these next few words, where God spake with him, Bethel, the place of God. God, once again with Jacob, now remember he's already done this, he's already confirmed his covenant with him, he's already told him what he's going to do with him, yet again he talks to him about the name change, yet again he talks to him about the covenant that he's made with him, the promises that God has spoke to him already, yet we see what he's doing here with Jacob is confirming once again what God has promised to Jacob. God gives him assurance. And point number one in your notes is this, assurance is rooted in God's word. Assurance is rooted in God's word. Now, when we consider that Jacob could have doubted uh, that God would keep his covenant or not, we think about, well, he, he could have had every reason to think that God wouldn't keep his promises, right? The life that he's lived so far, where he's at, what God's had to do for him. But when we look at this and we think about Jacob being there, it makes it a reality for us. It helps us. That maybe we're not the only ones in, in all of humanity, all the history of human, uh, human history, that may have struggled with this matter of assurance. You know, we look around this room and there's no doubt there's people in here that may be struggling with certain issues of assurance. We'll talk about the different uh, aspects of, of assurance that we sometimes struggle with uh, in just a minute. But we can get to these places in our lives where we need assurance from God in, in, in certain areas. Uh, we, we, we may be dealing with certain things, and, and we really need God to give us some assurance on some things. And sometimes it has to do with things like this, that God's going to deal, he's going to take care of evildoers. 
We look around the world, we watch the news, we experience it ourselves, all this evil, all the bad in the world, and sometimes we just want to know, God, you're going to take care of all this junk, aren't you? You're going to take care of all these bad people, aren't you? Sometimes we, we deal with things and, and we really need assurance that God's going to take care of us. Maybe it's, a, it's a, a financial struggle. Maybe it's something that we're dealing with in our health. Maybe it's something going on in our life, in our relationship, and we say, God, I really need you to, to show me. I really need to know that I know that I know that you're going to take care of me. Sometimes we deal with certain trials, and in those trials we struggle with that there's a purpose through them. And so sometimes we need God to assure us that through this trial, God actually does have a purpose. Why am I going through this? I don't know what the purpose of this. I don't know what this, what this even means. What's the point of this all? Sometimes we need God just to come to us and, and not necessarily give us the answer of the whole thing, but just to let us know, I got a purpose in this. Sometimes we go through things and we're dealing with a hardship. And, and, and we don't know, again, it's maybe different than a trial. It's, 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 it's a struggle of some kind. Maybe it's spiritual in nature. And again, sometimes we need to have that assurance from God that, He's actually doing something for our good and his glory in that hardship. <clears throat> and then sometimes those of us who are saved struggle with this idea or the, the truth if we really are his, that we truly are saved. And some, some people, uh, they, they come to an altar. Some people, they battle with it privately. Some people, they, they talk to others about it. Some people, they deal with it openly again uh, sometimes we, we come to a place in our Christian life that we battle with the assurance of whether or not we're truly God's or truly saved. And again, there's a lot of other things that we can seek assurance from God or desire assurance from God in, but the question that I have in all of this, again, we saw what point number one was, is this, is assurance is rooted in God's word. So if we're battling with things that we need God to assure us of, where should we turn for the assurance we need? Think about this. The word of God has been attacked. It's been attempted to be destroyed. It's been, it's been perverted by, or try, attempted to be perverted by other people and other, uh, other uh, you, know, uh, you know, people handling it and doing certain things with it and trying to uh, make a translation that's cool and, and all kinds of stuff and, uh, and, and relevant instead of just preserving the truth of God's word. With all of the attempts and the, all the attacks and all of the things that God's word has gone through for the last 2,000 years, think about this amazing reality. God has preserved his word for us the entire time. So regardless of what we go through, regardless of what we're battling with, regardless of the assurance that we need, God has still kept his word intact for us to run to so that we can have the assurance we need for whatever we face in this life. His word for us today was just as true and just as powerful and just as solid as it was for Jacob hearing it from the very mouth of God. It's the revealed written word of God preserved for his people for 2,000, well, over 2,000, but the New Testament, 2,000 years for us. I can remember when um, our girls were young, <clears throat> there'd be several different things that I would uh, try to get them to trust me with. Uh, and, and matter of fact, both of them, when they were really young and, and battling the issue of salvation, uh, I would try to illustrate certain things to, to, uh, to get them to understand what trust is or what faith is, what the Bible says saving faith is. And, 
And one of the things that I would do is, is uh, I would tell them to get on the fireplace, and I would tell them to jump to me. And, um, and so early on, you know, little girls, they don't really need, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty close, you know, it doesn't look very far, and so they would jump, you know. And, and I, of course, I would catch them. And so they would experience me telling them something, my word, and then them having to, to let go and, and trust me with everything, or they would fall and hurt themselves. They had to trust my word and trust my abilities to catch them. And so I would illustrate that as far as that's the physical side of things, but spiritually, that's what we've got to do with our lives. We've got to completely let go and trust God's word and his ability to save us. And so as they would go along, they would start to do that, and I would ask them to, to see if they understood what actually trust, trust meant. And uh, at, at first, I mean, it's, it's like you catching me. <laughs> and so, I would, yes, it's like that, but try to get them to understand the spiritual side. Uh, we would go down to, we, we used to live in a, in a neighborhood that had a, an HOA and had a pool. And when they were real little, uh, they would have those little floaties on their arms and stuff. And I would, I would tell them, you know, jump to daddy in the pool. And sometimes, well, I think Avery at first, she was like, no problem. She would just, she would jump. She knew I was going to catch her. Addison, which is interesting, right? Some of you know Addison Avery. And Addison was a little more hesitant at first to jump to him. I'm thinking, why? You know, you, you know, jump off the bed to try to grab the ceiling fan, but you won't jump to me in the pool with floaties in your arms, you know? And so um, she was just a little different. But uh, <clears throat> the same thing is, that, that word, just jump to me and I will catch you. The truth is this, they, they would experience it several times, right? As soon as they would, they would jump, they would, they would, I would catch them, and I wouldn't let them go into the water and drown and, and all that kind of stuff. I'd tell them to take off their, their floaties, and I would, I would catch them. I mean, they would go through that, they would experience that. And the only time that there was ever a problem with them doing that, once they heard me, once they experienced that, was if there was too much time that went on in between those experiences. If there was too much distance that was had between what I had said and what they had experienced. Or maybe if they had got hurt in some other way falling. Or maybe if something scared them. Or maybe if somebody else scared them. Maybe something was distracting them when, when, when they were supposed to be trusting or, 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 or jumping to me. And in those times and in, at those experiences... That's when their confidence, that's when their assurance, that's when their trust would be challenged. I don't know if you follow along with that, but that's similar to us in our relationship with God. We look at different issues that may bring doubt, that may challenge our confidence or our assurance in what God has said and his abilities to do what he has said. Some of these things are there in your notes. Number one, like distance. Right? The, the, the further we get from the Lord, the further we are from his word, the longer the, the, the time goes between us interacting with him and experiencing with him, the harder it is for us to be assured that he's going to catch us when we, when we jump. Or whenever things kind of go off track, that he's still there and doing something amazing for our good. Disconnection kind of goes along with that, and that's number two. We can get disconnected, disconnected from several different things. The third thing is distractions. Like I said, uh, we get distracted and sometimes we, we lose focus and we lose sight of what God has said and what he's promised in his word and that he cannot break because God cannot lie. 
The fourth thing is defaults. You know, sometimes when we default in our faith, we mess up, we get off track, we, we, we sin, we fall. Similar, we could also say defeats. We could also say difficulties. These things all can affect whether we have confidence and are assured of what God has said. Jacob had all of these things in his life, right? He was distant, he was disconnected, he was distracted, he had all of these things. And I think that he, out of everybody that we've studied, maybe had the greatest assurance of God's covenant. God spoke directly to him. Again, Jacob found himself, regardless of what God had said, regardless of what God told him directly, regardless of what applied to his life personally, Jacob still found himself distant from the Lord. Jacob still found himself disconnected from God, from the word and the promise that God gave, from his people, from the land that God had promised. Jacob found himself distracted with this world. He found himself distracted with idols, with his family carried away with idols and false worship, family issues. We saw Jacob already defaulting in his commitment to God, lying and stealing and cheating and living and doing what he shouldn't be doing. And the truth is this for us as well. When we give license to doubt, when we begin to doubt what God has said, whether it's through these things or other things, and that's when we open ourselves up for the enemy to wreak havoc in our life. When we begin to doubt what God has said, when God says, this is what I want you to do, this is what I promise you, this is what I, this is what I have said for you, this is what I've commanded you, when, when these things enter in and we begin to doubt, we open the door for the enemy to come in and just absolutely destroy us. And he knows how to prey on us. The enemy knows how to take advantage of those circumstances. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, whether you've realized it or not, you've experienced this. You, you, you've doubted God, or, or maybe you've got, you, and, and because you've doubted God, or the reason you've doubted God is because you've become distant from God. You've, you've not picked up his word personally. You've not interacted and talked to God in a, in, in a sincere connection and a prayer life. You, you've disconnected yourself from the fellowship of believers. You, you've done something. There's a default in your life. You've sinned. You've not repented. You've not confessed and made it right with God. There's, there's something that's gone on in your life, and that's the circumstances that have brought you to the place of doubt. Doubting whether God is good, whether he's right, whether the things that he said is true, and, and what he's going to accomplish, he's actually going to accomplish. Whether you're truly saved. All those things begin to happen. And that's when the enemy says, that's right. Now it's my time. And what does he do? He does just like he did in the very beginning. With Eve. Has God really said that? You think God really is going to do that? God told you that. His word was this. And Satan begins to really do the damage of, de of causing doubt to flourish in our life through questioning the word of God. Or trying to get us to question the word of God. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to through the years that, that they're going through something. And, and, and as a pastor, try to give them the word of God, to, because it's the power, it's the promise, it's, 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 the, it's the rock, it's, the, it's the, the foundation of everything, our faith, of our life, it's everything. And give the word of God, and how many times that I have had the reaction. That's all well and good, but it's not good enough for me now. <clears throat> We've got to remember that our only assurance is rooted in God's word. 
That's where it comes from. Therefore, trust in God must be absolute. To trust God, it it has to be no question. I absolutely trust God. Have you ever experienced God doing what he promised to do? Absolutely. If you're a child of God in here and you know you're saved, then that's at least one thing you've experienced that God said he would do, and it was a promise. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a promise. And if you've experienced that, then you've experienced God answer, or God doing something that he's promised in your life. So, it's only one of these factors that affected your absolute confidence and your assurance that has to come in and, and, and do this damage. It's only one that has to do that. Now, I want you to note this. If you're struggling with assurance of God's promises, if you're in a place in your life, whether it's through any of these circumstances that we've, we've talked about or something else, if you're struggling with assurance of God's promises, I will just say this. You've got to be able to identify that it's one of these factors or something. You've got to be able to identify it. Because if you don't identify what is causing you to, to, to not be assured of God's word, then you can't fix it. You can't address it. You can't uh, make that right. Again, maybe you've grown distant. Maybe you've been disconnected from the Lord, his people, his word. Something or someone has distracted you. Or you've sinned. It's unconfessed. Maybe there's something that's being harbored in your life and it's eating at the communion with you and God. Again, these things breed doubt. The only solution to these things is what James says in James chapter 4. It says, From whence come the wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust, that, uh, that war in your members? You lust and you have not, you kill, you desire to have, cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. But you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss, you ask wrongly. And the reason why you're asking is because you want to consume it upon your lusts, not according to the will of God. He says, You adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. It's hostility with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Like we hear those verses and we think that that somehow doesn't work in our life, but that's, that's God's word. To, to be a friend of the world is to be enemy of God. There are two separate, two separate experiences. Every person that God has has called to himself, he, he called to himself, he's called out of. The word church itself means to be called out of something and to something. Ekklesia. That's, that's what it is. Called out and to. Out of the world to God. He did that with name it. Name of the people in the, in the Bible who are, who are men of faith, women of faith. Called out. Friendship of the world, enemy with God. Do you think the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us? Lusteth to envy, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resist the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Listen to what he says. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. Again, he's talking about in this circumstance 
of being away from God and being affected by the world and, and not being in a right fellowship with God. It's something to say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to lower myself in the sight of God. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God will do that work. <clears throat> so how then do we maintain this assurance of the promises of God's word? How do you maintain that? How do you maintain this assurance, the, the promises that God has given to us and, and that, that, it, that uh, reveal the purpose of our lives? How do you keep that? How does someone in their life get saved and live their whole life with this assurance that, number, first of all, they're saved and they're not going to be unsaved at any point in time. Second of all, that God is going to do everything that he said he's going to do, that no matter what they go through, all the things that God says about himself and reveals about himself and tells us to do are all good and right and true. How do we maintain it? It's the opposite of the other things that we talked about. You've got to stay close to the Lord. You've got to stay connected to him, his word, his people. You've got to stay focused on heavenly things, eternal things. You've got to stay committed to pursuing holiness. Again, these things must be done regardless of our circumstances. Did you hear that? These things must be done regardless of our circumstances. As difficult, difficult as it is, it's a must. When we look back in our text and we get our second point, it says this, and they journeyed from Bethel, and, and there was but a little way to come to uh, Ephrath. And Rachel travailed, and she had a hard labor. And I remember Jacob had married Rachel. It was the, the second daughter of Laban that he had married, and uh, it was the, the woman that he wanted to be with. Uh, as of this point right now, she's had one child for him, and that's Joseph, the person, again, who we're eventually getting to. But she's now pregnant again, and she's having a hard labor. came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, thou shalt have this son also. You're going to have the baby. And it came to pass as her soul was departing, because she died, that she called his name Benoni. But his father called him Benhamin. <clears throat> you know what's interesting is, uh, it means the son of my sorrows, the first thing. And Jacob says, no, no, no. He's the son of my right hand. Amazing thing is, is uh, Rachel had prayed uh, earlier uh, that when she had Joseph, she said, God's going to give me another son. And you notice this? He did give her another son. But she died. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting how sometimes our lives work like that? It's not the way necessarily Rachel would have planned it, right? She would want to have the baby, raise the baby herself. She would want to do the things that, that everybody else, well, that would be normal to do. But she has the son, and her life is taken. It's, it's so interesting because um, uh, one of the things that, that I'm involved with, have been for many years, is um, this ministry called Digging Deep, and uh, in 2015, we went over to uh, Israel, and we were in this area uh, that we're talking about right here, and uh, the, the shepherd's fields, and there in Bethlehem, and uh, the, this word right here, uh, Ephrath, is uh, talking about the, uh, the countryside, and, and so this is leading up to an area uh, where it would probably be her tomb. 
uh, that we were, uh, we were in this area. And it was such an amazing thing because it was right next to a road there near, near Bethlehem. And uh, it was just a big old huge rock in the middle of this, this area. I, I've got some pictures of it somewhere. Um, and we, we came to this area and it, and it looked, I mean there were trees, it was just kind of a cleared area. Uh, it was normal. There was construction workers right there by the road. And they believed that they had built a chapel or a, 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 a church uh, commemorating the place where Rachel laid down to have Benjamin before she died. And we were sitting there, and you could not tell that there was anything special there. I mean, it's big rock in, the, in this area, but you couldn't tell anything else. We walked over near the trees. We took some water. We had water bottles. Took some water and, and poured it on top of the surface level. Uh, until it pushed away some of the sand and dirt. And there was a mosaic on, underneath the ground uh, that was commemorating, again, something they had built. It was there. It, there was no protection around it. There was no, like, it was not an archaeological site. It was not anything, uh, you know, preserved. I mean, it was like we would walk out into to any field there, and, and it, was, it was similar to that. Um, but this is the area they believe that this Rachel sat down, gave birth, and then, and, and then died. She calls him this. Jacob calls him son of my right hand. And it says that she died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar upon her grave that is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. And as uh, and Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Eder, and it came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, Remember Billa, right? We, we talked about her early on. And Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, and Judah, and Iskar, and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, uh, and the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan, and Naphtali, and the sons of Z uh, Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad, and Asher. And these are the sons of Jacob, or Israel, which were born unto him and paid in Aram. And Jacob came to Isaac, his father, unto Mamre, uh, unto the city of uh, Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were 104 score years, 180 years. And Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and was gathered, gathered unto his people, being old and full of days, and his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Seems like a kind of a sad way to end this section, right? I mean, think about this. Jacob just lost the love of his life. A son was born, but Rachel was his love. Rachel was the one. And she's gone. Go a little bit further, and his father, his dad, is dead. He's gone. I would say that, was, that would be a pretty difficult time for him. Pretty low time. I, I think that we could call this a, a time of affliction. For Jacob. And so our point number one is assurance is rooted in God's word. Point number two is important for us to know as well, and that's this affliction doesn't alter God's covenant. Just because Rachel was gone, just because Isaac is gone, now it's Jacob. Again, it's, it, it, it's who's the covenant been made with? Again, it was with Abraham, but it carried on to Jacob. God just confirmed it. God just said, listen, I'm giving you assurance that my covenant's with you. You're going to be a, a nation, and you're going to have many nations. It's going to come from you. Your name's no longer Jacob. It's Israel. 
And so just because Jacob had gone through the loss of the love of his life and the loss of his father all the way, and his son just laid with his, his wife's handmaiden and, and was, it was not a right thing to do, not a good thing to do. All of these problems, all of these afflictions come upon him. Did it change or did it alter God's covenant for him? Because of all these bad things, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But the truth is this, for us today, we often see the difficulties in our lives as God's disconnection from our life and from our hurt. We go through difficulties. We get afflicted in our life, and, and, and we see it like, God, you're not seeing this go on. And if you are, why are you so disconnected and allowing these things to happen in my life? I think that we can often mistake the affliction in our life and think that God is aloof. He's just kind of, oh, oh, something happened to you. Something bad happened to you. Like God is that disconnected, that far removed from, from what we're going through as his precious children. At times we can assume that affliction is a result of our wrongdoing only. We, we look at something going wrong in our life, we look at something going bad in our life, and sometimes because we have the wrong perspective or because we've forgotten what God's word said, we can automatically assume, oh, I'm doing something wrong. I'm doing something wrong because these things are going bad. I just found out the doctor said this. I just found out that, that my son, my daughter, I just found out my, my job. I just found out my, uh, uh, this, this situation at my, uh, with my, my family or whatever. We can automatically start thinking with something that I've done wrong. Or we can do something even worse. Sometimes we can think that the affliction is a result of God somehow making a mistake. God, I'm looking at my life, and, and, and man, I'm trying to do everything right. I'm trying to be everything that I'm supposed to be, and now all these problems are coming on me. You must have missed something, God. You must have done something wrong. You, you must have somehow made a mistake. You've got a lot of people in this world, got a lot of things to deal with, and somehow me, little old me, must have slipped under your radar, and that's why I'm going through these problems. <clears throat> and I believe this, the only way that any of us could ever come to a conclusion like that is if we get in one of those places that we noted in the first point. If we get disconnected, if we're distant, if we actually do mess up. See, if you're connected to the Lord, if you're close to him and you're focused on him, you're focused on eternal things, if you're striving for holiness, Listen, there is no way at all for you can, to come to such a place like that. There's no way to come to a place that God somehow made a mistake if you're connected to God. One of the reasons is this. As hard as it is for us to comprehend in temporal vessels, we realize that God is eternal. We realize that, that he is uh, a, a, an eternal God. And as a master artist sees the end from the beginning... God sees the plan of even using ashes to make beauty. He sees through all of the hurt. He sees through all the confusion. He sees through all the struggles that we experience and knows what his plan is, and it's still right and it's good. Have you ever watched Bob Ross? Anybody ever watched Bob Ross? You know who Bob Ross is? Three people. Cool. <clears throat> Bob Ross is the, the bushy-haired artist, right? 
He's on PBS or something, and he's been on there for, I think, 100 years. But um, he, he, uh, he would have his, his, his art. What is that thing called? Palette. Oh, yeah, palette. His palette with his paints. And, um, and he would have this canvas, and he would begin, right? And he would be, all right, and we're going to put that. And, 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 and just a little dot here and a little swoosh here. And, and because we're not Bob Ross and because many of us aren't the type of artist that he is, we look at that painting in the very beginning and we think, this guy's out of his mind. You know, this guy's a terrible artist. You know, I don't, what is he doing? I can do that. I mean, I can go put dots and swooshes on the, on the thing too. Dang it, you know, whatever. It'd be very confusing. <clears throat> But by the end of his paintings, you see this beautiful masterpiece. And if you watch the whole thing, you watch the various stages that that painting went through. You see the, the different colors that were added, and at times it caused confusion and, 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 and made you even want to turn the channel. And, and, and the, as long as it was taken, come on, paint the painting, you know. But we, we are observers. We're, we're experiencing it from that, that side, not from the master artist's side. Similarly, God is using all of the good and all of the confusing and all of the bad and all the ugly to create a beautiful masterpiece for all of our lives that somehow fits into this eternal plan that he's had from the beginning. See, sin exists in our world. We all know it. We all are experienced with it. We all have sinned. We all have, have, have experienced the consequences of sin. But sin exists in our world because sinners still exist in our world. And I want to tell you something. I'm glad that that's the case. You know why? Because that means that God is still saving sinners. You know why that's important? Because there's many people that I know in my life that I love that I want to, be, I want to see them saved. So I'm so glad that God is still in, the, in the, the business of saving sinners. I have loved ones, I have friends, neighbors, that I really don't want to see them spend eternity in hell. So I'm glad that that's the reality that we have today. But with that reality, we know that the effects of sin are all around us. And no one is exempt from them. And where we get wrong is this. We want to make sense of everything that we experience in this life from our temporal perspective. And that temporal perspective is actually just a very small window of one single life out of all the billions of life that God's using to accomplish his plan. It's just our window. We can't see through somebody else's window. It's only the window that we can see through. And we want to somehow make sense of all of, this all of this stuff through this small little window that God's given to us. And if we throw in this great passion that we have as, an, as Americans to, to have comfort in our life and to have pain-free lives, I believe that we can look through that window and have a perception of our affliction that's very toxic, be very damaging in our lives. Our only hope is to see our affliction in proper perspective. And the only way to do that is to rest in God, to be confident in him, to be assured in his word, just as we saw in point number one. 
Paul had it. Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul had it, not just for himself, but he had it for the churches that he loved so dearly. He wrote from prison to the Philippian uh, church. He wrote this in, in, in chapter 1, being confident, being confident of this very thing. Remember, Paul's in a Roman prison cell writing this. He had confidence in something. You would think that somebody who had been trying to live their life holy and righteous and doing all of God's work, but it costed him his freedom. He's in the prison cell now. He's going to be dying. You would think that somebody else says, you, you think that he would say something else like, you know what, I don't know what I can be confident of anymore, church. I thought that God would do something else. But I don't know what to write to encourage you. Because now I'm in prison. No, the Apostle Paul from prison still has confidence. And what does Paul have confidence in? Listen to what he says. I have confidence in this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? I mean, it's not like he says, look, guys, you can try to go down that road if you want to keep going and, and being sold out to Christ and, and, and doing the work of God. But you know what? It may cost you like it's costed me. So I don't know what to tell you. He didn't. He said, listen, I am confident that what God has begun to do in you, he's going to keep doing it until he returns. And then he says this, even, even as it is meet, it's right for me to think this of you all. Because I have you in my heart inasmuch, listen to this, both in my bonds, I'm in prison, and in the defense of the confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm about to finish this, just a couple of scriptures, look what it says. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. Again, Paul's talking about uh, the things in the flesh, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you'll gladly bear with fools. You'll go along with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, takes advantage of you, or puts, put on airs, strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever dares, whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they the servants of Christ? I'm better. I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman, he says. This is, a, this is the ESV, I'm sorry. Uh, with, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Three times, not once. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. His life was a, a life, his ministry was a, a ministry of danger, uh, of, of trouble and affliction and problems. Verse 27, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger, and thirst, often without food, and cold, and exposure. And apart from other things, there's this daily pressure of me, of my anxiety for all of the churches, my worry about all the churches, on top of all the physical, and emotional, and mental anguish, and problems that I'm dealing with. I've got also this great spiritual burden for all of the churches. Who's weak? Am I not weak, he says? Who's made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. And in the next chapter, he says, it's not expedient me for he doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. 
He goes on and he says this. That God had given him a thorn in the flesh in verse 7. And he asked God three times that it would be removed. And God says, my grace is sufficient for thee. And my strength is made perfect in weakness. And look what he says. Most gladly, therefore, I will, I will I rather glory in my infirmities and in my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I, listen, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake because when I'm weak, I'm strong. I want you to note this. When we're in a right relationship with Christ, we can have a right relationship with our afflictions. When we're in a right relationship with Christ, we can have a right relationship with our afflictions. We see with the Apostle Paul, how can somebody be in prison? How can somebody be abandoned? How can somebody go through great, all these distresses and all these problems and all these issues, how can somebody still maintain the right perspective to say to somebody else, I'm confident that God's going to finish the work he started in you? Because he had a right relationship with Christ. He wasn't perfect or sinless. But he had that right relationship. And lastly, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul warns the, the Philippians about the dangers of the Judaizers coming in. And then he goes on and he talks about all the things that he could boast of in, in this world, all the things that he could boast of in his flesh. And in verse 7 he says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because the, listen to these words, I count everything as lost in this world because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Did you hear what he said? Everything that I had to give up, everything I give up, everything that I have lost, everything that the world counts as important, that I don't count as important anymore, I indeed count it as lost. I truly count it as lost for this the surpassing worth, the great value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. What a completely uh, alien perspective from American Christianity today, right? That, that, that's just not how we live our lives. Everything in this world means nothing to me just for the fact that I can know Jesus Christ as my Lord. We don't think like that. We think, oh man, it's so great to know Jesus as my Lord and have all of the stuff that I have. Oh, Paul said, you know what? Everything is lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. He says, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. That doesn't sound like something people would want to sign up for. For the sake of Christ, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What a perspective. Everything that I've lost is worthless in my pursuit of Christ. I can gain him. And being found not having my own, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Listen to this. And may share in his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I might attain the resurrection of the dead this morning. Maybe you've been struggling. Maybe you're, you've been dealing with some afflictions, and you don't, you don't know where to find the assurance or the confidence of God's promises in your life. Please remember these points, and please employ these points. Don't just jot them down. 
Stand on them. The only way to gain and keep assurance is to remember that assurance is rooted in God's word. Stay close to it. Stay connected to it. Stay in it. And having the proper assurance can help us remember that affliction doesn't alter God's covenant. Just because you're going through something bad doesn't mean that God's not good. Just because you're dealing with something hard doesn't mean that God doesn't have a great plan still. Remember, there's, there's times that the, the painting makes sense. And then there's times that, well, why'd you just do that to the painting? I, I saw where you were going with that painting, Bob. And then why'd you do all that stuff? Only to realize that that was a part of another beautiful part of the painting. It didn't make sense at the time. It was frustrating at the time. You wanted to change the channel and not watch it anymore. But that's what God did. Or that's what, that's what the artist did. And that's how God works sometimes. Something happens in our life and we say, that doesn't make sense. I'm, God, what in the world are you doing? I mean, I know that you see everything and have a perfect plan. But what I'm seeing right now, it doesn't make sense right now. And we can't see any of all of this stuff all around us. We can just see through that window that God's given to us. That's where it comes to trusting his word. Trusting who he is and what he said. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your exceeding and precious promises. Lord, again, thank you for your word that we have to be in every day that is such a great blessing. You've preserved it for us. God, we have nothing else to stand on other than our experiences in the wisdom of this world. And you tell us that our life's like a vapor, and so we can't trust our experiences. You tell us that the wisdom of man is foolishness to you. And so we have nothing else to go on in our lives to trust, truly trust, except for you and your word that's truth. Lord, help us be those people, not shaken by circumstances, not wavering in our assurance, but confidence. Confident in you, knowing that even in our affliction, you're doing a great work. Lord, just move now, and we'll praise you for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen.